Hello, Bears fans, and welcome to a new episode of Bear Market. And today's episode will be a shorter one, to be honest. Uh, not a lot has happened in free agency in the past week. A um, few things did happen, so we'll definitely have things to talk about, but we'll keep it uh, short and simple for today. The first thing was the whole Ryan Bates saga. Undrafted free agent guard from the Buffalo Bills somehow became the dominant news source in the Bears, uh, the Chicago Bears media circle uh, for the past uh, two weeks, I would say. Kind of tracking his visits. Was he at House Hall on Tuesday or Wednesday? You know, all that shebang. But the outcome is that the Bears did sign him to an offer sheet over the Minnesota Vikings and the New England Patriots. Four years, $16 million. And up until the Bills matched that offer, it seemed like the Chicago Bears we're going to get their new starting guard however with even with all the signs indicating towards the, the bills declining they somehow scrounged up the cap space to match Bates' offer and he returns to buffalo now with a very very good deal for an undrafted free agent guard so just a few takeaways um, from this is that polls must have loved Bates to offer him a contract of this size. And, you know, just going to the tape, going to the numbers, I kind of inclined to agree with him. He's 25 years old, very young, and this, this contract would have taken him to uh, his age 29 season. And I know, like, the, the headline of the deal is four years, 16 million, but um, eight and a half, around eight and a half million dollars guaranteed uh, over two years, basically. So this turns into a two-year Eight eight in 8.8 I believe million dollar contract with uh, kind of team options for the last uh, two years basically so it, it's still team friendly but still a very significant investment and this does indicate that Bates is probably going to be starting for Buffalo and you know Buffalo's front office has been regarded as a front office that knows what it's doing and so if if they're high enough on this guy with only a handful of starts to project them as their starting guard then I'm very pleased with polls kind of indications of scouting even if he didn't really come away with baits you know it's 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 cl- i'm glad to see that polls is targeting someone who the who a very well-respected front office regards very highly just purely based on projection so it gives me good hope for, for the draft and how how polls will select his his new starting guards and tackles um if they do pick him another thing i kind of wanted to address quickly was there's kind of this talking point that the buffalo bills uh, placed a right of first refusal tender on Bates. i think it's like one year around three million dollars um and instead if they placed a second round tender on Bates, they would have paid a little bit more for that one year i think around four million dollars but the team probably would not have signed him to any kind of deal because I, I mean even i don't even think polls would have said <laughs> bates is worth a second round pick and i totally agree with that um with that position but uh, the, the talking point was oh why didn't you just why didn't the bills just sign uh, bates to second round tender initially that's a complete um misevaluation on their part and to that yes on an initial site like why didn't they just do that they could have had him for the same price and not gone through all this but if they did project bates as highly as um i mean clearly they project him as a starter and if they project him as a good starter then the optimal move is not offering offering him that second round tender and then um letting him hit free agency next year after a year of starting because four million dollars a year especially for a team like buffalo who's who's cap strapped and their offensive line does have holes in it he would be a starter for one year four million dollars a year and if he performs well then he's going to go out to the market again as an unrestricted free agent get probably a bigger deal you know more competition the bills not even 
Moon not only have to match any deal that an opponent uh, like other 31 teams give him, but they'd have to go above that, you know? So in actuality, if they do project him as a as an average to above average starter, then this is actually the smarter move. Go out into the market, get a multi-year offer, and then match that. So that's kind of how I'm seeing it from my perspective. But um, at the end of the day, the Bears are going to end up with Bates. Um, I think Polis said, I forget verbatim, but I think he said it stinks. And it does stink. The interior probably would have been finalized um, if Bates uh, signed this deal. Whitehair, Bates, uh, and then Patrick at center. But as we stand now, uh, the Bears are still looking for one more interior lineman, I think. Either do um, late stages of free agency or in the draft. And presumably one more tackle. It depends on how the regime views uh, Larry Borum. I I personally am kind of shying away from any generalizations on my assessment of Borum. You know, for a fifth round rookie, he did better than expected to be able to contribute on day one, of course. However, I would shy away from saying that we can rely on Borum to be the, one of the tackles of the future. Because at the end of the day, he was selected at the fifth round because he has limitations and there hasn't been enough tape to tell me that these limitations have been kind of mitigated or kind of kind of addressed right so let's uh <laughs> let's hold the brakes on there before we anoint the uh, forum as even next year's starter right i think tevin jenkins just because of his draft pedigree and his kind of uh, projections definitely can pencil him in for next year at least but Borum. Uh, I wouldn't be mad if Polis decides uh, after evaluation that he's the best option at left or right tackle, but I wouldn't bank on him being uh, <laughs> given that position right away yet. Next deal was uh, the Trevor Simeon deal. Northwestern grad um, started at a few places uh, before coming to Chicago. Seems like a two-year deal. I don't know. I, I don't think the guarantees have been released yet, but uh, it's nice to see that the Bears not overpay for a backup quarterback. Not mentioning any specific deal in particular, <laughs> but I am Chase Daniels. Um, it seems like Nick Foles' days in Chicago are numbered. Ryan Poles is very openly talking about hopefully trading him. You know, we'll see what the Bears are going to be able to get for Foles. I'm very doubtful that they're going to get more than a conditional seventh. I, I, I think I've seen some hopeful fans being. Like oh maybe we can get him for a four. There's there's no way that Foles go for, goes for a four at this point of his career. Uh, but you know if a if a backup quarterback needy team needs a veteran, I could definitely see him going for a seven. Maybe even if maybe maybe even a six if um they're really desperate. But I don't. It seems like <laughs> based off what Poles is saying, the market's pretty dry right now. They're probably gonna hold on to him, and if nothing happens, you know, I'm probably just release him at this point. But yeah, um, back to Simeon. It seems like the the Bears. Um, and Getsy and the offensive staff uh, kind of prioritized signing a a backup quarterback that would be able to fit into the system built for fields right away without too many uh, limitations. Obviously, Foles is probably the furthest away from that quarterback possible. <laughs> uh, not mobile at all, but Simeon, Simeon does have some wheels. He can run. He can um, run the Shanahan offense. You know, he started in Denver um, for, for a season and started a few games in uh, New Orleans last year. Didn't look great, but he looked fine for a backup quarterback. And yeah, definitely, definitely can hold the fort for a few games if uh, if Fields ever gets injured. Um, yeah, not not a flashy signing by any means, but you got your backup quarterback. And next signing is a safety from Tennessee, Dane Krushank. Krushank. Sorry if I'm butchering that name. Seems like fans in Tennessee really loved him. He was uh, 
kind of a backup safety dime cornerback hybrid i think uh seems like uh he will play a similar role in chicago i'm not sure if uh they're gonna bring in anyone else uh starter caliber to to the safety room uh, before the season kind of seems like him and houston carson can fill in that low end starter role so they got two guys kind of in the room in the running for um starting opposite of eddie jackson i wouldn't be surprised if Poles just runs with the two of them but we will see um he might draft someone in the middle rounds fourth fifth rounds to kind of try to provide some starter potential in that room but for now we have a uh, houston carson and krukshank krukshank um and the initial um, thoughts from titans fans are pretty positive um they call him the tight end killer seems like he shut down uh, travis kelsey in last year's uh, um throbbing of the chiefs when the chiefs uh kind of made everyone wonder if patrick Mahomes is washed <laughs> somehow um, of course he wasn't, but he seemed to have done a good job on Kelsey that game. So um, yeah, it seems like I'm really liking these these young signings uh, the Bears are making. The Bears are not given a contract. Anyone over the age of 30 except for their long snapper uh, re-signed for one year. And Dakota Dozier, who will, will have to fight to make the roster, you know. So this is a very clear philosophy, clear philosophy shift from the uh, pace era. Not only trying to be more conservative with uh, the free agent dollars that they do have and Poles does have but spending it on players who are younger um, closer to their prime uh, instead of you know Jimmy Graham instead of Robert Quinn you know um, those are just two examples but the players that are reaching their <laughs> basically retirement um, close to Jimmy Graham's probably gonna retire I don't know if the word's been official yet but I mean it wouldn't surprise me at all um, so it, it's, it's refreshing because you know when you sign players uh, are younger obviously they would probably call Cost more because the market values them more for obvious reasons. But you know, in general, you get healthier players. You get players who have untapped potential, hopefully, uh, and players who you might be able to sign to a second contract. All right. And speaking of uh, Dakota Dozier, is um, the last signing I want to address today. A lot of kind of unwarranted hatred over this signing. Uh, I realize he was probably the worst starting offensive guard in, in the NFL uh, past few seasons, um, but it's very clear that. You know, He's not here to be a starting guard. Probably here because he knows um, the quarterback's coach and the quarterback's coach of the Bears, also from the Vikings. And not only that, but probably knows um, the Shanahan uh, zone run scheme very well. And, you know, these guys, these kind of guys are pretty valuable, especially probably not getting paid more than the minimum, probably not getting any guaranteed money. If he makes a roster, it probably will be the practice squad. So, I mean, why? Like, what's the point of hating on this move? Um, you know, it's it's so low impact, savory hate for other places. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that, that about does it for the most recent uh, free agency signings. I think uh, the Bears will pick up probably a few more players um, for the draft. But I don't anticipate um, too much because I think at this point, players are probably going to try to hold off until after the draft to see if um, teams will become a little more desperate, right? Uh, and so, especially, you know, the list, uh, those mid-level um, players still available, you know, the Tyron Matthews, for example. He, he's probably not getting the value value um, that he wants right now probably won't be falling that much between now and the draft so the best move for these kind of players is probably
probably to, to wait until the draft, see if there's a contender or a fringe contending team that didn't get to address their safety position as much as um, they would have wanted and would uh, pay a significant amount more for a player like Matthew after the draft rather than before. So, yeah, we'll probably um, see Polds do some damage in that phase of free agency as well and keeping true to his philosophy so far, um, not overpaying, sticking to the valuations. And so, yeah, uh, basically, in the next few episodes, we'll probably be focusing on um, my favorite um, picks for the draft. I think popular places of focus have been the wide receiver position, the offensive line position. So I'm probably going to dabble in those as well. But I think a little stab at the um, cornerback position as well, because uh, I, I see that as um, definitely um, something I'm holding you with might prioritize in the middle rounds, uh, third, fourth, fifth. Uh, just because kind of at a shortage of talent right now, um, depending on how they evaluate uh, Thomas Graham Jr., Kendall Vildor, and Duke Shelley. Uh, but I can't imagine it's um, too great. Uh, so they probably want to get someone else in the room to compete for that cornerback to uh, nickel positions. And yeah, that's also probably an area that they'll probably find in uh, free agency. I mean, if you look at the previous uh, Colts defenses, it's kind of a model for maybe what Eberflus has uh, been telling polls. It's they don't like to spend big money on cornerbacks, so I don't see one of the two second round picks going to cornerback. The Colts did um, select Rockison in the second round, I believe, a few years back, uh, but he, he was kind of seen as almost a first round talent at the time, so I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe if someone falls, maybe if someone they think is a first round talent falls, but I think uh, most Bear fans are projecting those first two picks to be, you know, guard, tackle, or receiver, and I'd be surprised also if um, those first two picks aren't that. But you know what? Um, honestly, it's if you're a team in a position where you're, you're drafting for need, for extreme need, uh, you, sometimes you're put in a tough position. So I think polls might um, kind of also be weary of drafting for position, for need. Um, and if possible, he might try to trade back. If, if like, oh, he determines, like, we need to pick one of these receivers, um, but, you know, not liking the value that they're getting from, from let's go. Was first pick, I believe, 39. Not liking the value that they're getting there. I'll probably try to trade back. Um, maybe select the receiver at second position, uh, second, uh, second round pick. But we'll, we'll see him. It's all very exciting stuff. We'll see how um, Paul's maneuvers are draft. Hopefully, we'll be able to use trade downs a little more effectively than uh, Ryan Page did. And uh, yeah, to, to end off, I uh, kind of want to touch base on other uh, other um, Chicago sport actions. So the primary one right now in season is uh, the Bulls who have been stumbling out of the gate since the All-Star break. It's It's been tough to watch them struggle for sure, but, you know, honestly, I think uh, kind of the beginning of the season might have spoiled fans a little bit, us fans, because uh, legitimately the first, uh, I would say, I mean, whenever before Alonzo Ball got injured and Curtis got injured that, that time period, um, so the first, like, 30 games, 30, 40 games, the Wolves looked like a top 10, top 5 team, and then the numbers supported that, right? And so, <laughs> when the drop-off in performance is that, that significant, because definitely since then, they've been performing more like a middle-of-the-pack, like top 15, top top 20 even team, uh, struggling 
significantly at the defensive end, and so yeah, it's it's tough to watch as fans, you know, because you 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 come to expect that kind of top ball performance when you see it in action, right? And so I don't I don't I don't blame uh, I don't blame Bulls fans for being frustrated. I think uh, kind of the fire Donovan, <laughs> the fire Donovan movement is a little um, little over top. I mean, I'm not gonna say it's perfect. I'm not gonna say there's no coaches out there that are better than him. Like that that's that would be simply wrong. But is Billy Donovan the main issue in this kind of slump that the Bulls have been facing? No, not at all. You know, it's not like it's not like the Bulls have this star waiting in the wing and Donovan is not playing it at all. No, that's that's the wrong mentality. Have his rotations been perfect? No. Has he been kind of out coached in some games? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. But that, that doesn't mean that like Billy Donovan is the dumbest coach in the NBA. I mean, like you, you think I feel like some fans forget how bad it got under the Boylan era. Not only did Jim Boylan suck at player relations, keeping his players happy, he, he did not fit his scheme around his players. He tried to force a scheme that he thought would work onto them that did not work. It sounds like Matt Maggie here almost. But yeah, Billy Donovan is you know, you see him as this veteran coach and that's that's kinda what you're getting, right? The schemes to start off the season were really good, you know. But, I mean I mean people forget that the, the Bulls had a lot of question marks coming into the season. Oh, how would Zach and Damar mesh? How would uh, they play any defense with uh, all of these net negative defensive players, right? Marco Rosen, Zach Levine, even Vucevic, kind of. Um, the numbers kind of do say that he's above average defender, so kind of a washing out. But definitely um, DeMar and, and Zach have been historically and presently a net negative on defense. But yeah, there, there were a lot of these questions, and for the first half of the season, you know, these these were not weaknesses of Bulls. These were strikes. You know, the defense was the strength. Um, DeMar and Zach played off each other very well. We saw creative usage of both of them in offensive sets. Donovan hit him very well on defense, both of them, both of them. But it's, it's all kind of fall apart with uh, injuries and, you know, the rest of the team having to step up, play a bigger role. And, you know, the Bulls kind of lag that kind of all-around player who's good at both offense and defense. You know, they don't they don't really have that in the arsenal. So when you're hit with injuries and, you know, kind of um, lower performance due to injuries, um, to certain players, you know, you'll, you'll see a drop-off in play, right? Because you have a lot of these specialists, um, Caruso and Ball. Although Ball is probably arguably the most uh, well-rounded player on the team at this moment, but obviously he's not playing. And, um, yeah, I mean, these holes just kind of amplify. These kind of weaknesses amplify if you're, if you're missing if you're missing a few players, right? Because because you go to these kind of replacement level players. You know, I love I love Io Dosumu. Um, he's played great for the Bulls this year, especially as a second round rookie. But if we're gonna be completely real, uh, he's kind of performing at a replacement level um, rate. Right? That's still way better than expected for a kind of second round rookie, um, obviously. And I mean, he's getting been getting starter minutes since uh, Lonzo and Caruso went out. But you know, it's not it's not a great recipe for success. Um, when you're looking to be a top four seed in the playoffs to have your second round rookie playing those kind of heavy minutes. I mean, there's there's a point in time when you're playing 40 minutes basically nightly. Uh, so yeah, I just I just think that once Ball comes back, uh, I know there's some concern that he might not be able to come
come back this season. But once he does come back, I think the team will look a lot better. Uh, and and I think even Caruso right now, I know he's been back for, uh, I think like 10-ish games now, but he's still not looking 100%, to be honest. I, I'm seeing a lot of blown assignments on defense, uh, kind of letting people uh, drive past him a lot more than, you know, kind of early in the season. Early in the season, he was straight up defensive player of the year candidate. You know, lockdown stuff, like assignments on the elite players every um, every night. Sometimes it was Julius Randle, you know, a guy who's like five inches taller than him, and he would still lock him down, you know. But now we're kind of seeing a lot of, a lot of poor um, on-ball defense sometimes, lapses. I mean, he's still obviously the best um, defender on our team, um, but we're, we're still seeing some, some negatives um, coming off the injury, maybe just uh, feet a little slow, you know, maybe kind of, I'm still need to get a little sharper um, on the rotations, maybe. I mean, who knows? But yeah, I, I, I'm just glad that the Bulls are back in the playoffs. Hopefully um, some kind of um, mental switch can turn on for them when the playoffs start, especially for DeMar. Uh, I think, you know, you've seen games this year where he just turns it on. He decides that, you know, today we're not going to lose. <laughs> and just like in the fourth quarter, just goes off for 15 points. And just like absolutely like crazy thing. I, I mean, Bulls have had some great offensive players and um, since, uh, I mean, Jordan, I'm, I'm too young to have seen Jordan, but you know, like Derrick Rose, Jimmy Butler, uh, it's probably it, actually not to think about it. I mean, Ben Gordon for a little bit, but I mean, I, I just feel like I've, I've never seen this kind of, you know, oh, like, I don't care. Like, I don't care what you're doing to me. I don't care if you're doubling me. Like, I'm I'm going to score kind of like mode that the market's into um, some nights. <laughs> and we saw it against the, uh, um, who did the Bulls play the other night? I completely forget. Uh, it's a Western team, but uh, Clippers, the Clippers. Um, yeah, we saw it against the Clippers. He, he just like turned it on in the fourth quarter. He's like, Bulls are down 15, I think, and he just didn't miss. He just like went down the triple the ball down the half court line, and it's like, okay, okay, balls in the basket at that point. So um, it's been impressive to see. Zach's been looking better recently, and he seems to be better. Um, defense, on ball defense seems to be better. He still falls asleep way too much on uh, when he's not involved with the play on defense. Just too many times a game where I see him just like fall, falling asleep, kind of like sagging off of his man, trying to get involved, and then, you know, the ball comes to his man and it's wide open for a three-pointer you know i can't i mean that's just like such a simple it's like a mental thing like you know it's not even like he's not athletic enough to stick with uh the the shooter i mean he just he's just drifting off too far and then um not recovering quickly enough you know so i mean yeah defense um been frustrating to watch as i'm sure for a lot of bulls fans as well but i'm, I'm hoping that they get get it back on track playoffs the last uh kind of thing i want to touch on is the um baseball real quick uh for the cubs our opening day is uh coming up very soon looks like a 70 maybe low 80s win team uh i just have a lot of question marks um on their pitching and kind of uh their like weak spots uh in the field are very weak you know you have first base like who are you really relying on there like i know frank tank did well last season towards the end there's a reason why he's 29 is he 30 now i think he's 30 years old now and the cubs just got him off i think the waiver waiver wire you know there, there's a reason you know he's sitting hit profile isn't the prettiest it seems kind of fluky what he did last season uh, this, this is an example i think uh, another example is uh rafael ortega probably 
going to get <laughs> like projected to get 400 or bad at bats right now in the outfield. You know, I, if he hits replacement level production, like that would be a miracle for the Cubs. Kind of, you know, just like things like that going on and on and again. And even like your star players, quote unquote, um, you don't really know what to expect from Suzuki first season. Ian Happ always is a wild card, but you know he's pretty pretty much usually good for um like three wins above replacement per year. But that's not you know that's not star power that you need to get in the playoffs. And same thing with Wilson Contreras. And who knows if he's gonna be on the team in a few weeks, a few months. So lots of question marks, and I didn't even get into the pitching to be honest. Even if like all five projected starters, I think Cubs may be starting off with a six-man rotation. But even if all five six projected starters um go for 22, 24, like that kind of range starts like minimum. You're just, like you're still seeing a very poor depth um pitching staff um within the starters. Uh, I know we got Stroman, but that bottom of the rotation is looking pretty rough. Pretty pretty rough. Like I mean, it's it's like Wade Miley's probably going to be out. For, it sounds like for at least a few weeks, maybe even the first month. And you know if if you get like league average pitching from Alec Mills, Justin Steele, you know that kind of bottom of the rotation guys projecting right now. That that's a win. And <laughs> when you're in that position, that's that means your rotation's a little questionable. So yeah, th- that's all the reasons. Um, kind of looking in my opinion at a 70-80 win season. And not horrible. Uh, if Cubs can get one of these um prospects to hit next year, and then they can grab another arm in the rotation. I mean, they could definitely make a playoff run next year. But uh, as of now, it's this season kind of I think is focused on uh like Nico Horner, Nick Madrigal, kind of getting their development, getting Suzuki's feet under him in the pros and that and uh, MLB. And you know, hopefully can find a diamond in the rough in the pitching area because I know the Cubs system is very deep in the position position players uh, area right now, uh, which is which is good from where they've been the past few years because it's looking pretty barren. But they're kind of still a little bit lacking on the pitching side. So hopefully they can find a, a pitcher who, who kind of rises above the crop and surprises us. I have a decent um, hope that Caleb Killian, um, one of the pitchers traded for Chris Bryant last year. I know he's older. I know he didn't have the draft pedigree, but if you look at his numbers and if you look at how, how he pitches, I, I just think there's something there. So um, we'll see. But yeah, and uh, quickly, I would like to just apologize the middle kind of third of the video or sorry this uh, podcast audio was kind of crappy it kind of messed up my uh my mic settings uh there so i was recording um from not my usual microphone so it's that's why there's a lot of background noise and it's kind of uh hard to hear me so apologies for that but hopefully um this this back half should be a little better because i think I, I did catch it there but yes uh thank you everyone for, for tuning in today uh this is uh bear market and i'll catch you guys next week